0: This is the WorkSmart Hypnosis Podcast, session number 303, Avner Eisenberg on Hypnotic Breathing. Welcome to the
1: Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette.
0: Now, I have to tell you that this week's episode is capturing a conversation that I have been wanting to have For quite some time and forgive me for getting a little bit personal first, before introducing the incredible yet also rather eccentric guest that I have this week on work smart hypnosis, you'll see where I'm going with this in a moment that I can remember, as a young kid, practically wearing out the VHS cassette tape of a specific movie. The Jewel of the Nile. That was a movie that had Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner. I believe it was, if I remember right, directed by Danny DeVito. And the title of the movie makes it sound like they're on this adventure to go track down a jewel, a gemstone, a specific object. And this isn't too much of a spoiler, but it turns out in the movie that the Jewel of the Nile was a man played by Avner Eisenberg, who's the guest on the podcast this week. Now, fast forward, because I'll tell you, this was my version of bonding with my dad growing up, watching a lot of older comedy movies, whether it was the Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, you know, Charlie Chaplin, and I've always had this fascination towards comedy, and especially specificity in comedy. So like going back to Harpo Marx and the Marx Brothers, how just the raise of an eyebrow would have an audience laughing. Even watching someone like Steve Martin in his stand-up comedy years, how just the gesture, the movement is what created the comedy, the specificity, the subtlety of it. So I had a hobby of doing magic. I worked backstage in professional theater for a number of years, And here came an opportunity where I would just go to see other performances at other theaters in the area. And suddenly here is this performance called Exceptions to Gravity with Avner the Eccentric. And it's where I sat in the audience. And here I was probably 15 years after I'd seen Jewel of the Nile. He walks out on stage and it was that moment of, it's that guy. It's that guy. And for the next hour and 15 minutes, it was one part mime one part clowning, and really it was its own thing. Thus, Avner, it's eccentric. It was his own brand. And in the course of that performance, I will tell you, this week's episode is the very first guest that, at least to my knowledge, I have seen him balance a full-sized ladder fully extended on his chin, which I think may be a new requirement of podcast episodes. Anthony Gitch, you're coming up in a couple of weeks. Figure it out, buddy. So this performance where he's on stage... And it's this welcoming in of an audience, it's laughter, and I'll I'll call this out. I saw his show with friends of mine who go, oh, I hate mime, I hate clowns, and just rolling in the aisle the entire performance. It was that good. And head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com. Just go to worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 303, that'll redirect over the show notes, and we'll put some of the clips of his performances in the show notes. And the entire performance where at the end of it, it concludes with two words. There's a bit with a microphone. And at the end of the show, he just leans into the microphone and finally speaks after an hour and 15 minutes and says two words. Thank you. Huge applause, standing ovation. Good night, everybody. And I'll tell you, so from the personal side, just, I was drawn to it and thought it was so cool and watching various movies over the years of that style, or again, that physical comedy performance. And then to find out, as I got into hypnosis, so did Avner. So I began to hear these rumblings that, oh yeah, he also does hypnosis. Oh yeah, he, he trained in hypnosis. And then eventually, a little bit more personal here, (laughs) is watching how sometimes people download different things off of the WorkSmart Hypnosis website. People may join little many programs. And sure enough, the guy who I'd been tracking was also now very clearly tracking me. And I reached out and here was the premise that sets the stage for this entire conversation. A man who spent most of his career on stage in silence to now be doing hypnosis which so much of it is about the verbal communication. Yet to hear how learning a handshake interrupt induction changed one of the moments of physical comedy and clowning and a bit of magic in his performance, how the awareness of how performers breathe or even don't breathe is an incredible lesson about tracking either the presence or the lack of anxiety in their world so it's a natural through line that as much as avner teaches eccentric performing to other performers he also now works with other performers in the role as a hypnotist and you're going to hear some incredible thoughts here about the power of breathing specifically how the breathing applies to rapport and really creating this moment of being present and in the experience a little bit more about Avner. His Avner the Eccentric show was on Broadway in 1984 and 1985. He's been in various productions, both Broadway and on regional theater, everything from Waiting for Godot to various Shakespeare performances. His show Exceptions to Gravity is one that begins as he'll tell the story, about doing a performance that, which by the way, he's done this all over the world. I got to see him in Hampton, Virginia, yet recently it toured through Spain and Paris and just incredible opportunities here. And again, you're going to see some of the show clips of that. I mentioned Jewel of the Nile, several other film appearances as well. And the resume of, for those who may know the specificity here of learning physical performance and mime from Jacques Lecoq, who's a major name in that world. So the sort of blending of theatrical backgrounds coming together here in this fascinating conversation here. And again, getting into hypnosis and NLP and Ericksonian hypnosis and what's that's informing him as a performer, as a practitioner. Can you hear the excitement? I'm so excited for you to get to meet Offner as I've now got to meet him in this respect as well. So head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com, or here's the shortcut, worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 303. That'll take you to the show notes to link over to his own website, some of the video clips as well. While you're there, check out our upcoming WorkSmart Hypnosis Live. We've now, as Avner's doing his trainings online too, we've moved those trainings online as well. So wherever you are around the world, we've got options that are now a fit for those in the U.S., options that are now a fit for those coming up in Europe. So uh, check out the times that we've got coming up for that event. The next one kicks off in January. But let's set the stage for this incredible performance as well as incredible practitioner, here we go, episode number 303, Avner Eisenberg on Hypnotic Breathing.
1: Well, this was had to be 35 or 40 years ago. I was teaching a workshop on animal movements at the Walker Art Museum in Minneapolis, and the father of one of the students informed me that I was using Ericksonian language patterns, which I had had never heard of, he called his daughter over, induced a very quick glove anesthesia, and poked her with a safety pin, which was impressive, to say the least. And he turned me on to the book Uncommon Therapy by Jay Haley. I read the book, and I think it was in that book, but it may have been in other readings about Erickson. I read about the handshake induction that he did. I believe it was in Mexico. With He asked for, for a uh, demonstration subject at a medical school, and they brought him someone who did not speak English, and he didn't speak Spanish. And he talks about inducing a profound trance just in the act of shaking hands. I started researching that. And in my show, Exceptions to Gravity, I have a couple of places where volunteers from the audience need to hold their arms up. And I started playing around with the handshake induction. And like magic, all of a sudden, all of the fatigue went away. The rapport deepened so that they were having more fun, I was having more fun. And if we were having more fun, the audience was having more fun. So that was my first introduction. And then and I kept reading a lot about Erickson. Stephen Gilligan did a weekend workshop in Boston. I live up in Maine. And I sort of talked my way into it and did a workshop with him, which was a little bit disastrous, because before that, I used to try out inductions on people. But After I took the workshop, I felt like I knew too much to be just playing around with it. And then I developed an idea. I had, first of all, I had shoulder surgery and couldn't work for about six months. And I developed this idea that when I go to the theater and it really works, it is truly a hypnotic experience. I I have time distortion. I lose all awareness of my body. I sometimes drool. And when it doesn't work, it's like a trip to the dentist without Novocaine. Mm. (laughs) And I had this six-month period. And I also discovered that almost every student has some level of stage fright, of anxiety, anticipatory anxiety about performing. So I wanted to take a course, and I looked around. I uh, found Ron Klein, who's in your neighborhood. uh... Oh, great. Well, I signed up for one of his workshops. Went down for a five-day training. Pretty much got what I wanted. Now I I I knew that hypnotists get a trance every time. That's what they do. It's their job. And when I talk to performers, they they look at performing almost like a gambling game. You say, well, how, how how's the show going to be tonight? Well, I hope they like it. And I realized that all theater training stops at the proscenium. They it's all about what the actor does, what the actor feels, and doesn't really look at what the audience is doing. And what I discovered in, in hypnosis, the concept of rapport, and started to develop techniques for basically inducing rapport in the first seconds that we're on stage. And I was at Ron's training. I pretty much got what I wanted. And at the last day, he said, well, we've, we've covered all the material. I'm going to be demonstrating something called a visual kinesthetic dissociation. I want to demonstrate it. I'll be teaching this in the next workshop. He said, this is good for treating trauma and post-traumatic stress. Has anyone got something like that that they can share with us that would like to be a demonstration subject? A woman said yes. And it turned out she was a inner city social worker and had a street person had thrown bleach in her face. Mm. And she had severe post-traumatic stress, couldn't go to work had panic attacks just getting in the car to drive to work he said would you like to change that she said yes he said okay on a, on a zero to 10 scale where are you she said 15 and he did the uh, VK dissociation and then he for which took what 15 20 minutes and then he did a quick session of eye movement integration he said how do you feel now and she said it doesn't seem like a problem anymore yeah he said well, so we can check our work. I want you to get that old feeling back again. And, and, and she, she had just blanched when she first started. She got the funniest look on her face. <laughs> he said, what's the matter? She said, it's not there. I can't get it back. It's not there anymore. I was hooked. Yeah. I wanted to learn that. He said, well, I'm not making a marketing plea, but I will be teaching that in the new <laughs> workshop, in the next workshop. Who wants to sign up?
0: Nice.
1: (laughs) So I did. At the next workshop, she came in late the first day. Everything froze. All heads turned to her, and she looked at us and said, I'm fine. I go to work every day. (laughs) So I kept training for about five years and ended up certification as Ericksonian hypnotherapist and an NLP master practitioner, and then certified as a trainer in both of those.
0: Yeah, and 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 yeah, I love that. And for those that are new to you, we met briefly, I think it was 2003 or 2004, when I saw your show and then eventually hear that you were getting involved with hypnosis. And from my background, working as an equity stage manager in a hobby of magic at one point, and it's where it's just, just that connection, which there's some key points I'd love to chat about. The, the, the performance of yours, what was it called? Exceptions to Gravity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Could you give a little bit of a play-by-play of some of the things that happened in that show for those that are curious?
1: Well, I, I I play the janitor of the theater and I come on stage to give a quick last sweep before the audience comes in and discover that the audience is already there. So I uh, apologize, but I have a job to do. <laughs> I need to sweep the stage. And, and I think there's a line in A Thousand Clowns. It's When it, when he's late, and he comes back and he apologizes. He says, that's all anybody ever really wants in life is a good apology. So I start sweeping the stage and things happen. Things drop. I look cross. An hour and a half later, I sit down to a meal and they made a mistake in the kitchen and they're nothing but paper napkins. You can see all this. On, there are a ton of videos on YouTube. Yes. Just look up Avner the eccentric.
0: What, what, what struck me about this was that it's a performance that Correct me. It's about an hour and a half in length.
1: Hour and 15 minutes at this point.
0: Yeah. So, but in the course of all of that, the entire performance is done. I won't say it's done in silence because the audience is laughing and having an incredible time having seen the performance. And only at the end of it do you walk up to a microphone and say two words. Thank you. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that
1: is correct. And a very funny thing happened. I was at Arena Stage in Washington. Yeah. And I I came in one night and the uh, house manager said, hi, I want to introduce you. This is our sign language interpreter. And I said, oh, interesting. And she said, oh, right. (laughs) The interpreter got up. They had all the people that could use a sign language interpreter on one side of the audience. She explained to them in sign that I wouldn't be speaking, and that she was going to sit down and enjoy the show with them. At the very end of the show, I came out and got a panicked look on my face, ran down into the house, grabbed her by the hand. We, she came on stage with me. I turned to her and did the ASL sign for thank you. She turned to the audience and uttered
0: the only words that were spoken in the evening. She said, thank you. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So from that career of, you know, on stage, mostly silent, th- this was the the hook that I was the reason that I reached out to you, not just as a fan of your work, but also th- this premise that with hypnosis, so much of it comes into the specificity of movement. You know, you mentioned that in terms of a handshake interrupt, but getting into the language patterns, I- I'm curious if you found any greater specificity to the languaging of it. As a result of so much of your career being silent, for the most part, on stage.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's one of the uh, Milton model patterns is, I wonder if. Yeah. And I think every every time I ask the audience to do something, that it comes with a physical version of, gee, I wonder if. And the response is, is phenomenal. I, I've really tracked and I've developed a whole curriculum of teaching a workshop called Eccentric Performing. I used to call it clowning, but clown has, has become my favorite four-letter word. Um, <laughs> and it kind of tracks with Bandler and Grinder's, the path they took in developing NLP. I knew after I had gotten into hypnosis and started paying attention to to breathing in particular, and particularly breathing as it relates to rapport, that I was having this effect on audiences where there was a qualitative warmth in the audience. And I, I realized uh, that audiences never remember what you did. They, they only remember that they liked you or not. And so the question I wanted to answer was, what, what am I doing? And I was able to analyze that in terms of the hypnosis and NLP. And can I teach someone else to, to do it? so that they can use those same principles using whatever skills they have that are unique to them? And, and the answer, I think, was yes. Especially these days with the pandemic, I've been teaching two Zoom classes. I've had 20 people from 27 different countries in the last three
0: or four months teaching Zoom classes in these things. What's interesting is you go back to the phrase, I wonder if and this is the rare piece of feedback let's say in a hypnosis certification training or any course where it's odd that the ultimate feedback is that quote it sounds like you're making it up as you go as (laughs) opposed to (laughs) as opposed to it sounds like you're going through the five steps of this specific technique it sounds as if you're hitting the four bullet points of this specific method and you know I I flash back to working with actors and you know the the skill of the actor would often be you know kind of directly proportionate with their experience that you look at here's a production and it's the classic American play with the whole family. And clearly the actors playing the grandparents may be people who have been on stage for 60, 70 years of their life. And here's the kids, which are played by teenagers who look young enough to play the kids. And there's some level of experience that might be there. And at the younger ages, it's almost as if Yes, it'd be great if they can act, but it's also just as good if they can say the words and it doesn't sound as if they've memorized the words, (laughs) that that it sounds genuine. And I I flash back to what I remember of your performance that, as you said, I'm discovering there's an audience there. I'm discovering that there's napkins instead of food. And here's a ladder. Here's an audience. And if I raise my arm, suddenly this half of the audience starts cheering. Uh And I I wonder if I raise the other arm. So so I'm curious about your thoughts. I just used it right there. <laughs> I'm curious about how, you know, being in the moment with the client and listening to their issue, how yeah. that, I wonder if kind of becomes really an overarching through line of the process as opposed to, again, just running them through a system of a process.
1: Yeah. My training with Ron Klein boy, didn't use any scripts. At all. I was surprised later to find out that people had them. There was a lot of emphasis on therapeutic storytelling, on internalizing some of these language patterns, and then listening to see how they react. I see clients, I sort of specialize in performer related issues. My late wife also trained and was doing the same thing. And she, she came in one day and said, You know, it's all about their mothers. (laughs) <laughs> uh, there's a thing that I've developed which is well I'll tell the story very quickly I, I watched for for over 30 years been teaching physical comedy and watching people do physical comedy numbers that just weren't funny and I, I started asking them because I wondered what the what the heck is going on here and I realized the emotion that they were conveying was fear and I think this is true of a beginning hypnotist as well and if you have that fear and and you wonder what is it you're afraid of and i started asking them what's your basic emotional state before you go on stage and Mm -hmm. the answer was i hope it doesn't suck yeah and then i started asking them well when you're in the audience what's your basic emotional state and the answer there was i hope it doesn't suck so there we've got two groups of people the audience and the performers the client and the hypnotist and they're terrified of each other And I started wondering, well, what is it you're so afraid of? And I think that what I've come to the conclusion is that we're terrified, both as practitioners, but also in life, of not being interesting. Our fear as performers is that they're going to get up and say, this is boring. I'm going to leave. And when you're worried about being interesting, you can't be. So the answer is be interested, not interesting. Nice friend asked me, what do you do when they don't laugh? I said, oh, thank God, I've got enough problems out there without people (laughs) laughing at me. But I think that those are good, good training points for a
0: hypnotherapist. Well, I think that piggybacks right off of the classic pattern of just simply saying that's right, that for, for anything that we're doing for the very first time, for anything that's going to be a new experience, the internal dialogue is, am I doing this right? so it's the person who's getting into a rental car it's the person who's following a recipe it's the person you know figuring out which light switches turn things on in a hotel room and what exactly is supposed to be happening as they're going through the hypnosis session so to have that ratification of that's right and i I forget where i heard this from but the, the phrase was you know, to find something, not romantic love, but to find something to love about each and every client, which where my mind took that was a very similar place to become so wonderfully fascinated with who they are. And the the theme of all the work that I do now is the theme of what's great about them. And how are we going to use those strengths as to who they are? And this place where the the ultimate rapport is, you know, yes, from the breathing, yes, from the physicality, but to truly be interested in that other person and not just, you know, talking with them rather than just talking at them and to really be in the present. that I flash to some of the greatest performances I've seen that at the end of it, you felt you really knew the performer, that you had spent time with someone. and this is this is just briefly one of the things that, I think drew me to magic as a hobby, but also kind of pushed me away from it, that the performances where you felt you really knew the performer at the end of it versus the stereotype of the the back-to-the-vaudeville box jumper, that it didn't matter whether it was an audience or not. It, It didn't matter whether people were watching. The music played, they did the routine, and they wheeled the prop off, as opposed to really the connection. And it's not just the words and the storytelling it comes back again to, you know, I I go back to that moment that you described of discovering there's an audience there. Well, you're here. Let's do something.
1: (laughs) Well, there's even, or I should say, that's right. That's right. (laughs) The goal in hypnosis and the, the goal in going on stage is exactly the same. It's to establish rapport. And I've developed some very neat demonstrations where people... Where you don't go out and create rapport, you create a sort of a vacuum where they hop into rapport with you. And I found that it's as valid on stage as it is in starting a hypnosis session, because you you discover the audience. But the first thing you say to them, and it's said with a simple breath, which is based on our biology, on the evolution of our of our biology. The message you say, give to them is, I'm comfortable with you watching me.
0: Nice. So how does one go about doing that in your world?
1: Well, it's very it's very simple. The, the first thing you, you, you need to understand, see, breathing is a subconscious activity. We're never aware of it until somebody makes us aware of it. And if you do a simple thing of turning your head to look at something and notice your breathing, you will notice that you involuntarily and automatically take a breath in. And when you look back where you were focused before, that breath is just released. If you even just pick your hand up from your lap in front of your face, you'll find that same breath happening. And what's going on there is an entry into the beginning of the freeze fight or flight response, which is our basic interface with the world. And it started when protohumers were wandering around Africa, we were basically prey animals. Our eyesight was not developed to be Swiss watchmakers. We our eyes scan, and, we're, and, and our nervous system is, is finely tuned to recognize little variations in patterns. What does this mean? That there are the grass in Africa on the veldt on the is waist high and all barely moving in the breeze. And it's exactly the same color as lots of little deer that would make a great meal for our tribe, but it's also the same color as a lion's coat. And when our nervous system sees something move the wrong way, it goes on to high alert. <gasps> the breath goes in and we're ready to fight or run away. If it's a lion, we get the hell out of there. If it's a little deer. And then I've what I've added to that, and this is for people going on stage, freeze, fight, flight or fidget. And that's where you don't release it. And you're worried about the next thing yeah. and your body just. Sits there and rocks back and forth, shifts weight. If you watch so many TED talks, the person does this little triangular dance through the whole talk. They're not going anywhere. They're not walking to a place to accomplish something. And that's the body saying, I don't want to be here. So it's it's really a kind of a Zen principle of be, be here in the moment. So just poking your head around the corner and seeing the audience puts you on high alert. In comedy, they say you could die out there. Yeah. And if you immediately release it, you're giving a very strong message to the audience and also to your client that says, I'm comfortable with you being here.
0: That's, that's one of those elements that, you know, when I think of seeing whether it's the comedian or the actor on stage or whatever kind of performance or even back the days of doing theater management you know in dc you would do regional theater or you would do the corporate product release or you do the political fundraiser which side whoever was paying that week uh, <laughs> and you would notice this level of comfort this almost assumption that the rapport was already there not not quite from an arrogant place but it was this welcoming i, I flash to and i'll leave the names out here But I flashed to a friend of mine who, it wasn't a matter of who the politician was. She was anti all politicians, but that was the (laughs) job that week. And here's the moment that she was spoken to by someone that I had heard her fume against. And she goes, I get it now. The moment they spoke, I was the only person in the room. How the hell did he do that? <laughs> Where yeah. it's this it's this welcoming in, it's this internal story of rapport, which goes above and beyond the move like they move, use their words. And it, it starts with self to welcome someone into something. I, w- I want to flip this the other way though, which is that here's what we can do in terms of our physicality, in terms of our breathing, in terms of our internal dialogue what what awareness have you found of watching let's say the client and and their movements and you know I, I've said something for years I'd be curious to get your take on that for the new hypnotist this sounds like an esoteric statement to say you'll be able to observe your client and be able to tell if they're truly with you and going through the process or mm-hmm. if they're passively observing it. And well, when I've had a, when I've had a class where like half the people are well seasoned and half are brand new, the people who are experienced go, yeah, <laughs> that that's a, that's an interesting thing to have to teach, though. What, what's your take on that?
1: Well, certainly in my training, and then was was magnified in my practice. The, the, the first thing you you ask is, "What's going on?" And in general, they will start telling you about their problem. And if you observe carefully, you will see their beamer, their behavioral manifestation of internal response. And you can calibrate that. And you you know what their internal state is. Later in the session, when you're creating an imaginary future where this problem no longer exists, if that behavior starts to come up again, you know that they're collapsing back into their problem. And they're just creating a future that has cemented that problem in place. And you can interrupt that pattern. And rather than thinking of rapport as something that you do actively by projecting it, I see it as, uh, in, in a sense, creating a kind of a vacuum that invites them into rapport with you so that you can consciously and then ultimately unconsciously control their breathing in a sense of, of getting them to relax and go back to a, a neutral state where they're not revivifying that problem.
0: So then let's talk about, so so most of your clients then are people who are also in that performance world. How, how do you find this translates, let's say, now that so much of the work is happening on Zoom?
1: You know, I, I listened very, with great interest when you did your series of 10 sessions of people who were working on Zoom. And what everybody said, I I was very skeptical. I thought this can't possibly work. And I was skeptical of teaching clowning on Zoom. And what every one of them said was, no, it's exactly the same. In fact, in a lot of ways, it's better. Their eyes are going to be closed part of the time. Anyhow, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) I started last May with a a practice Zoom class for six people who were in L.A., well, well, and I've, I've had, I think, 150 students now, 12 at a time, and I've got three going this week. And I think I mentioned from 27 different countries, there are an awful lot of advantages to it. I have a wonderful exercise where I live, I ask someone if they would take, and I have a, a cup that is brimming with sulfuric acid, and I ask them really just with a look to take it. And they reach over to take it. And I turn to the audience and say, who's holding their breath? And the, the faces are amazing. They go, oh, oh, I am. I didn't realize it. And as I said, I've, I've come to understand that breathing is, is a subconscious activity. So if as the practitioner, we're aware of the breathing. We have a, a really great leg up on understanding what's going on. And the person takes this cup of acid and they hold it. And it gets very uncomfortable for everybody. And then I turn to the audience, the other students, I say, he won't let us breathe. (laughs) He won't let us breathe. And I've watched so many performers who won't let the audience breathe. They're so worried about not being interesting that they're racing to the next thing. So the, the next step is to say, "Okay, as soon as you have control of that, Just let the air out. You don't have to take a breath. You'll already have it. And they go, ah, and their whole body relaxes. Well, in a hypnosis session, I know that by simply heightening my interest in something that they're saying and taking a breath in and holding it, that they will, in rapport with me, also do that. And if I hold it just a little longer than is comfortable and then, ah, let it out. They will also, and they can feel the release of tension, and it's a, a,
0: a wonderful feeling. Which I love that for the reason that again, it's not just the strategy of the words, the phrasing, the patterns, the, the the sequences. It's about holding that space with that person, giving that attention. But also, if we can, if we can facilitate that release of tension because that rapport is there, they're going to start to release that tension as well. And I I think of this because oftentimes there's the dialogue around, and yes, there's a balance to what I'm about to mention that, oh, sometimes they come in and they just want to tell their story. Well, there's so much that we can do to start to facilitate change in that moment that The intake isn't just, quote, the stuff we talk about so that we can get to the hypnosis that we know the entire experience. Thank you for that. The entire experience is about hypnosis and about suggestion and how the way that we respond to a story, the way that we engage, the way that we listen, the way that we can just let something sit in silence Mm -hmm. can create a change, too.
1: Absolutely. I do a, a lot because I'm not a mental health professional. I'm not a licensed, I'm a hypnotherapist. So I work a lot with people that have generalized anxiety and, and stress-related issues. And I teach them some breathing exercises. And then I, as I do an induction, I will very gently suggest that that breathing exercise is happening. And sometimes that's all you need to do. We're, we're in a sense of physical rapport, not just linguistic rapport. And I think the physical is much stronger and much more profound.
0: I'd say the same and, absolutely conveys over to the online session that to go into that session, I, I heard this dialogue. I don't think this came up in, the, in that episode of 10 series. This was more in some of the Facebook groups that I heard a few people go, I feel more fatigued at the end of the day because I'm having to you know, put on more. I'm having to project more. I think to back to theater, how the gesture on stage may be rather big, but that's what conveys it to the back row. The the enunciation of the words may feel forced on the stage, but for the person in the back row, it's crystal clear and it conveys as natural. So that there's almost this heightened level of the experience that I found to the online session that again, gets to exactly what you've mentioned there of sharing that space. And I've often nicknamed the occasional false, that's right, (laughs) to to, that's right if we don't actually have something, but by doing so conveys that something did occur. And by doing so, it did occur.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's interesting on Zoom, people look at the picture of the person instead of at their camera. So they're never looking at you. So it's something that you have to train yourself to do, To work on Zoom is to look at the camera. And one trick to do that is organize the two windows so that theirs is on top. I'm using the camera that's in my laptop so that I can stare at the, I can look at the camera. So for them, I'm looking at them instead of looking off to the side or looking down, which often happens on these. This is very important to not just to establish, but to maintain rapport.
0: That is huge there's an episode over on hypnotic language hacks that i did with robbie samuels called no more bad zoom and that's Mm. that's a big thing we talked about that he's a lot of what he does is helping large organizations to organize conferences to become even better on zoom that it's not just everybody click the button and we're connected he's training better engagement he's training better systems for anybody who wants to level up their game with online work, go go listen to that episode. We'll link to I, it in the show I, notes. I,
1: I enjoyed that, and I have his list right here.
0: Oh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> what's what's what, here, What's great about that was, I think, even before we turned on the recording, that he and I, I was on his podcast about a year and a half ago, and I'd say that's probably the one reason he stood out, was I went, you know, we'll, we'll leave out names, but there are people who I've done webinars with over the years that to see the chat log after the event was a whole rant of how many times could I try to secretly type, please look at the camera lens, you look insane. <laughs> <laughs> Which you're exactly right. I minimize the the screen as small as I possibly can to get that little compact compressed image so I can still it's see the screen right beneath yeah. that camera lens. So if they're full screen, I'm having to scan the entire thing. I can see what I need if it's maybe four or five inches wide beneath the camera lens. Because And and no, we don't have to tell our client, I need you to look at the lens too, because they're going to look wherever they're comfortable. But we want them to have that experience that they've been seen, that I remember back to seeing your performance. One of my friends who was there goes, good-sized audience, he goes, I feel like he kept looking me in the eyes. (laughs) <laughs> that it wasn't just this scan of the audience. You were genuinely connecting with people.
1: Hmm. Well, it's nice to hear. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so then looking at the nature of where you are now, so how is it most people are finding you as the hypnotist?
1: It's really a word of mouth. I I, I should make a website one of these days. I haven't, I've been so busy with everything else that I, that I haven't done it. So my professional website is avnertheeccentric.com, but that may put people off if they go there, but they can get a giggle if they look at the videos. There's also a, pay, a, a great bibliography of, of hypnosis and NLP books on the, on the site.
0: Yeah, I saw that there, yes. that I, I love the nature that, you know, it's where for anything we do, you know, we are projecting out who that ideal audience is. And by doing so, it's naturally deselecting the people who are not quite a fit. So it's not to say that we can't be effective and flexible with these other categories, but for people to see, here's a person who's been on stage and Broadway and film for all these years, this person understands that world. And to see that as the connection, as the ultimate in marketing, I go back to Steve Martin, just be be so good they can't ignore you. (laughs) (laughs) This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on here.
1: It has been my pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So for anyone out there looking to, let's say, enhance rapport in the work that they do, or let's even say add more specificity, any final thoughts for the listeners out there?
1: Everybody needs to breathe all the time, even when they're on stage.
0: Jason Lennett here once again. And as always, thank you so much for continuing the conversation in our public Facebook community. Head over to the show notes at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash 303 to see a direct link to join over there and interact with myself. Avner's a member over there too. And check out Avner's links over on the WorkSmart Hypnosis website, as well as the video clips. And while you're there too, check out WorkSmartHypnosisLive.com. That's the home base for my in-person trainings, which we've now moved in person and also online. Interact in a hybrid format with lifetime access to hypnotic workers, where along the way you're interacting with other practitioners all around the world. We've got another crew kicking off coming up in January, or if you're listening after the fact, we've always got another event coming up soon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.